tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back listeners to the Campbell's Footballs podcast with your host Dr Grant Campbell. Now fans of Scottish football will be absolutely delighted uh, to have yet another show where we talk about fans of football clubs. Uh, this episode we talk about all things the Blue Tune, uh, Peterhead Football Club. I am joined by the hosts of the Blue Tune Football podcast, Colin Byers and Martin Smith. Martin and Colin, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. It's uh, great to have you both gentlemen on. How have you been coping during these very strange times with COVID-19? Um, it's actually, for us, it's pretty much been uh, as you were. Uh, we've worked right through it. Um, the job that we do, obviously, we just kind of have been carrying on it as is. Um, other than that, the school's been off initially. That was a, a big headache for a start. But uh, no, we've uh, it's been pretty much uh, as you were. Apart from they being able to see family and friends as much, but uh, no, they, we haven't really been affected as such. And what was it like for you, Martin? Yeah, pretty much echoing Colin's comments. We've worked uh, all the way through it, so there hasn't been too much change. Also, the restrictions uh, made it more difficult. Um, as Colin said, lack of seeing family and friends. Football as well is a big part of our, um, our week. We always look forward to our, our football on a Saturday, so I think that has been the, the biggest challenge uh, for me personally. Have you guys had to adapt an awful lot due to COVID-19? No, not really. No, just, I, I guess we've adapted in terms of how we go about day-to-day -day life as such. Um, like I said, maybe going, doing the, the grocery shopping and things like that, we'll, we'll find that we're actually doing it more online, click and collect, that kind of things. Um, but no, generally, we, we, we didn't, I didn't have much of a social life to begin with. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant, Martin. Yeah, I think I'm more cautious of how much I actually do. Maybe go out, um, rather maybe making three or four trips to the shops. You maybe try and limit it to one or two. And as Colin says, online now is a. It was big before, but I think it's even bigger this year now with the restrictions in place. Yeah, absolutely. The Scottish Football League has been uh, just back up and running. Certainly, the the lower leagues, the Championship League One and League Two. Has it been a frustration for you of how long it has taken for these lower league sides, apart from the Scottish Premiership, to get back up and running? It's, it's definitely been a, a frustration. Um, you can see the biggest argument is that it's not letting fans in. Um, the frustration is, well, how come the Premier League can start but the Championship League One, League Two can't start exactly with the, the same uh, the same restrictions? Um, it was a bit of nonsense from the very start uh, how the seasons ended. Um, we could probably talk all night about that, but that's a different subject altogether. Um, yeah, for us as fans, we just really wanted to get back. Even just getting able to watch the games on a, some kind of stream would have been fine, but now we've got this reduced season. Um, whether that's uh, a reflection on, you know, everything else, probably not. But, um, you know, you, you see the Premier League starting, we should probably start at the same time. Martin, do you share Colin's frustration? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Colin and I have spoken many a times, whether it be on the podcast or off air. The the frustration we share is it's quite incredible. We can go into a cinema, and we can, you know, there there was a thing on Twitter the last month. A team could watch the game inside a meter apart, but they couldn't watch it from the outside. You know, and the social club is only a matter of meters away. I think that's a frustration, and it's not only that. There's jobs in, in 
club's really, really struggling. And, um, you know, it'd be great if we could get fans back in sooner rather than later, providing it's done safely. But I think we're now at a point where I don't think we're going to get many fans in. I think they said tonight, you know, if you're on tier zero or tier one, you can start at anything above. Mm-hmm. You know, don't even ask the question. And that, that's the most frustrating part is you can go to your supermarket on a Saturday and the place is packed, yet you can't social distance outside at a League One championship game. So that's a frustration. And for clubs like Peterhead in League One that maybe don't get the, the a large abundance of fans that clubs in the Scottish Premiership or the Championship have, they need fans to keep their club going. Yeah, that's the thing. We talk about social distancing and being able to get fans in a small reduced kind of um, attendance. Peter has got a, a, a stadium that holds 3,000 uh, fans. The average is about 650, 700. So you could easily social distance within that. You don't need to have the bar open. You don't need to have kind of all the, the kiosks open and things like that. Just get the fans in, get them paying the money, and that will keep the clubs going. Uh, Peterhead themselves have already, unfortunately, had to let people go, made redundancies just in the last couple of weeks. Mm. That's not going to be the only uh, team to do it. No, unfortunately, we're going we're to support them more uh, within the next few weeks if uh, we don't let fans in sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating and I'm sure Martin agrees with that as well. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I asked Colin the question the, the other week about um, whiz, without getting too political, whether the government was punishing football players and clubs in general, you know, with the Aberdeen and Celtic situation um, when football first came back and I do feel that we're allowed to have supporters in the uh, Aberdeen test game in Ross County and then after that it was sort of dismissed and said that it was both events were successful and then there hasn't really been nothing until just like a couple of minutes ago um, mm-hmm. that Ross County were allowed to have fans in against Livingston so uh, yeah it's very frustrating um, and clubs are really going to suffer for it Yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how the lay of the land changes in the next coming weeks or even months going forward because it's certainly going to be a very difficult time for not just Peerhead themselves but for a range of other clubs across Scotland and of course the rest of the world as well but gents it's really great to have you on the show let's talk about all things Bluetooth and Peerhead because I'm really interested to learn a little bit more about the club but also you guys' love of the club as well which I think will be absolutely a fascinating listen to many of my listeners I always like to ask my guests um, off the bat as an opening gambit what was your route into football in the first place? How did you get involved in the beautiful game at the beginning? Well, for me, I guess it's a similar kind of story to, to any kid sort of growing up in the, the 80s. The, no sort of technology. There was only three channels. Uh, and I'm old enough to remember there was only three channels. <laughs> uh, so uh, where, where I grew up, uh, mum and dad, uh, where they lived, there was lots of kids. So essentially all we did was we played outside um, in, in the summertime. It's cliched, I know, but you went outside and you played all day, played football all day. It's the, the proverbial jumpers for goalposts, that kind of thing. And you just start enjoying it, you liking it. Um, you can sort of watch it on TV um, every now and again, because again, back in those days, you only got the cup final the Scottish games, or the TV games, um, and you, you sort of just and start liking it, join a, a, your local team and that's how you kind of get into it. The love of it just keeps going. Yeah. Was that the same for you, Martin? Uh, slightly different. Uh, my uncle had a, a season ticket at Aberdeen Football Club um, and my cousins used to go as well. And one particular Saturday morning, 
uh, one of my cousins wasn't able to go. I got the chance to, to go uh, to the game. Um, and ever since then, you know, it's something that I, I'm really passionate about is football. And it was just simply started at that. You know, after school, you're playing football with your friends afterwards, jumpers as goalposts and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it just started from there. Yeah, I think technology really has transformed kids' enjoyment or their route into football nowadays. And I remember growing up and the jumpers for goalposts was still very much a thing in the, the, the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's a real shame that that sort of kind of faded out now. And it's a real shame because it was really great times. And how a lot of great crack and great memories was, uh, was brought out. And I think that was absolutely fantastic, certainly from my point of view, for sure. In terms of inspirations and idols, both on the local scene and in football as a whole, who were you? Who were yours? Uh, well, my first one, uh, believe it or not, was uh, goalkeeper Theo Stelders. Um, again, around about that kind of time, I would have been eight or nine when he signed for uh, Aberdeen, first of all. And then just remember the uh, the cup final in '89 against Rangers. He, I think, single-handedly won that. Cup for Aberdeen. He was uh, he was one of his best performances, and I started at that kind of time as well, playing in goals as well. So he was kind of a guy that I kind of looked up to and wanted to be. Um, he was quite vocal, and I tried to be like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not to the same extent. Uh, my Dutch isn't very great. Um, I know that guy as well. Uh, Around about the same kind of time, it's Peter Heath goalkeeper Ivor Perry as well. Oh, what's uh, a great he's, goalkeeper! He's a he's a legend within the sort of Highland League uh, era, um, but he's uh, he's a, a name that everybody. You mentioned his name around Peter Heath, everybody just kind of lights up. And so those are the kind of two guys that I kind of modelled my game on, which uh, obviously wasn't <laughs> wasn't very too successful. <laughs> yeah, before I pass on to Martin, a little story about Theo Snelders. When my mum. Um, was having me myself. She, my mum was a midwife, and uh, you know, in the, when she was having me in the the cubicle next to her at the time when when I was getting uh, born, was Theo Snelders's wife, which was a, a really interesting story. And uh, you know, who knows? You know, there was a, maybe a bit of a, a parallel sliding doors moment there that never happened. But, uh, but yeah, a, a little side story about Theo Snelders and fantastic memories and a really great keeper, as you said. Martin, yeah. what about what about yours? Uh, similar, well, similar to Colin, continuing with the Aberdeen theme, it was actually Russell Anderson. Uh, I went to my first game in January '97. Um, we played Dunfermline. and Russell Anderson came off the bench that day, and it was only after the game um, I was told that he that was his debut for Aberdeen as well. So he sort of it was his first game for Aberdeen. It was my first game going to watch Aberdeen. Um, again, you speak about parallel universe. It's something you sort of attach. Well, he made his debut, and I made mine as a supporter for Aberdeen. So it's just that player I always um, like to keep an eye out of. And he, he went on to have a really good career, not only for Aberdeen, but you know he played uh, down south as well. Yeah, a terrific captain as well, Russell Anderson. And I've got the the, the the signed shirt in my bedroom here, my office as I like to call it, of that 2014 League Cup winning side. And it's so fitting, a guy of Russell Anderson's stature to have won a piece of silverware at the club that he played for so many years. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, he was a fantastic captain. Unfortunate not to get more Scotland uh, caps than he did. Why do you think um, that was the case? Was that because of injuries? Was it because he... Didn't move away earlier down south. What, what do you put that down to? Um, yeah, he suffered a really bad injury um, in the League Cup final in 2000. But um, I think in times gone by, there's been a lot of um, players 
down south who for some reason have got the nod ahead of potentially not just Aberdeen players but you know Hibs and Hearts at the time as well I do think that a player playing in the lower league in the championship in England might have gotten a call up ahead of a player playing week in week out at a, a club in Scotland so um, I think that maybe didn't help that he didn't move away quicker or, or sooner uh, delighted in, in my opinion that he stayed at Aberdeen for as long as he did but that's probably didn't help his international career yeah no absolutely agree a tremendous servant Russell Anderson and I hope he's listening because he's a, a really great guy in terms of Peterhead as a club because this is obviously a great discussion about the, the brilliant blue tune in the northeast of Scotland what does the club mean to you two gentlemen it's, it's one of the kind of things you, you think about it, it's very difficult to put it into words um, the only sort of way you can sort of describe what it means is it, it gives you a sense of sort of belonging but that I mean is that there's a community kind of spirit within the club everybody sort of knows everybody um, and the guys that you go and see uh, week in week out or you used to go and see week in week out before uh, when we had fans going in uh, you would see them and everybody would, would know who you are um, and it's my dad used to go as well when, uh, back in his 70s um, he always tells me we're going to see Willie Miller on his debut for Peter Reid don't know what happened to Willie Miller after that but uh, <laughs> uh, he, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of things it means a lot to him it means a lot, lot to me as well um, we just—it's just a kind of big community spirit, I guess, is, is the only way you can kind of describe it. Yeah, Martin, do you have anything to follow up on that? Yeah, I think it's the the, the buzz around it as well. You know, um, you you sort of start looking at the game maybe on the, the Wednesday afternoon or the Thursday, and it's the you know you go up to the social club a couple hours before the game and you'll talk about the what you think might happen, then you're there a couple hours afterwards speaking about what did happen. It's just that the whole buzz around the town as well when things are going well for the club, but also when things aren't going so well, it's still the main talking point um, for football supporters in the, the town. The story of Peterhead has been nothing short of sensational, of course, for many years being in the Highland League and then they went into the football pyramid. And they've just, the story of their journey has been absolutely sensational, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know they've the suffered, uh, sorry, suffer, suffered uh, relegation uh, recently as well. But I think it's um, you know it's a, it's a club, it's a heart of the community, and how well they've been able to bounce back. You know, every year Jim McInally's had to change his team. Um, you know, very rarely will a player sign. It's a two-year contract. So I think just in general, how well the club has done, how well it's run. Um, you know, in previous years, it is testament to everybody at the club. Colin, do you have anything to add? I should say, uh, when we go to the social club, we are just having a half shandy, just, just, just so that we we're clear on that. Uh, I don't know why Martin's still there two hours after the game. Yes, yes, right. I mean, it, it's all about kind of uh, everybody sort of galvanising together, especially in the last sort of six months. Everybody wants to help everybody. Uh, everybody's trying to pitch in and do their bit. So, yeah, again, I just go back to that one again. It's a community spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm. A really interesting club here, Ed. and you mentioned Jim McAnally, the longest-serving manager to date in Scottish football at the moment. What has he done at the club to transform it? Because he's been there for a long period of time and has been very consistent in the job he's done at the helm. He's uh, he, he sort of took over in a really sort of difficult uh, time. Um, we'd gone through sort of two, three managers. 
and the success wasn't there. Um, the players that possibly were there weren't of the standard that they probably should have been. Uh, the key thing that he's he's done though, he, he sort of man managed everybody individually rather than as a team. If you speak to anybody who's played under him, you know, back then, uh, nine years ago, even uh, today, every every player will say to you how good he is as a man manager. But not just that. Obviously, he's got the trust of the board, which is uh, a key thing. He's uh, after the relegation in uh, 2017. I think he'd uh, tendered his uh, or he failed to get promoted. I should say um, the following season he'd offered his resignation. They said no, we're, we're not going to take it. The following season he goes and wins the league. That's a key thing for him uh, long term because if he's got the, the long term backing of the board, he's you know he can almost sort of relax and, and, and push on. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, whether or not he can sort of push on and kick off and get us to the heights of where sorry, Ian Stewart had, had taken us in, in sort of 2006 we're almost getting to the, the second tier um, is it, up for debate but I don't think anybody else is going to get us close either because mm-hmm. it's a very difficult job you know, the commute that he does every week it's not just the things he does on the football fields with the players but it's the stuff he does in the background as well um, he's up every week. Um, he's he, he does a lot for the club in terms of the community stuff as well, um, and and he will take time to speak to anybody as well. And that is a, that in itself uh, is a very rare uh, attribute that uh, people have these days. Uh, and he's, he's just so well liked by everybody. Yeah, really top guy, and I I've really followed his journey certainly over the last five or six years, and he's. He's done an absolutely tremendous job. I mean, when you, I was having a chat with someone the other day, and I think it was on Pine Bovril on Twitter. I think the top five clubs in terms of longevity of managers are all north of Dundee, which I found was absolutely sensational, geographically speaking. But also proves to me that maybe the north clubs maybe take a little bit more of care and attention in terms of giving their managers a chance maybe in the, in the northern clubs. Yeah, I think um, they. I also think the media has a part to play. I think there's um, maybe more scrutiny the on the, as well. So I think there's, there's more uh, scrutiny in the, the Glasgow and Edinburgh press than what there maybe is North Dundee. So um, I think that comes into play. But at the same time, I think clubs are allowing managers to potentially build squads you know and they can see what uh, managers are trying and I think um, nowadays teams are very quick to, to get rid of a manager when things aren't going well you know a manager can under pressure after like six seven games even when they're newly through the door so I think it's um, quite refreshing that clubs are giving managers time to try and develop things yeah no absolutely and then certainly three other managers that I've put in that list are Derry McInnes Aberdeen obviously Stuart Petrie at Montrose and of course Dick Campbell at Arbroath who are doing tremendous jobs and I just wanted to put that very much into context. Now Peter Head have had some really exciting games and matches over the years. Have you guys got any personal highlights? I guess the, the, the kind of the, the major highlight would be the uh, the, the Bedford, uh, Bedford, the, the Petrofac Cup final against Rangers um, at Hamden. Uh, even the games against Rangers uh, in 2012 in the league. Um, well, that was Rangers' first match in the, in, the, in, the, in the bottom tier, wasn't it? It was against you guys, wasn't it, if I'm correct? Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, we're, st- we're still good. We didn't take all three points. That's right. Because they got 
they got a very late uh, late uh, equaliser. So uh, yeah, I think they kind of got a bit of a surprise as to how how things were going to be at that time. But yeah, the, the, those kind of games they don't come around very often. Um, you get a bit well left, um, and so. Uh, you know, you don't play Peter Hay- you don't play Rangers very often, you don't play Celtic very often, so when they, those games come around, you sort of remember them uh, more often than you would do, maybe say, uh, a game against Brechin, because you play them more often. Yeah. Martin, for you? Uh, um, for me, it was actually a couple of years ago, We uh, it doesn't sound spectacular, but we went down to Hampton to play Queen's Park, and we, uh, we got promoted that day but it was on the back of conceding a goal in the 93rd minute to Sterling Albion the week before um, and the, right at the death they scored and it was the eerie silence of the crowd that day you know we've gone from literally just being seconds away from getting promoted with a win and we've drawn the game and it was that week everything was so flat you know the players have spoken about over the summer with us as well how everything sort of just seemed to crumble you know the like Monday and Tuesday and they were arguing with each other so to go down to Hamden you know it's a long trip down to Glasgow from Peterhead and to, to come away with that a really good three points that got us promoted uh, to me it's not the the most glamorous of games and, or results but mm. it was such a pivotal one for the, the club given yeah. what happened the week before yeah the significance of that and I think that's yeah. absolutely fantastic Colin you mentioned the, the Rangers game and I remember Ian Crocker and Andy Walker talking very vividly about that match because I think Ian said he was the coach Oldest he'd ever felt up in Balmour, which I thought was absolutely fantastic because he mentioned that in uh, a couple of podcast episodes I listened to. He was on it. It's fantastic to hear football commentators from Sky. The, the spotlight is on you. You got what four thousand fans in at Balmour. I mean, those scenes are are moments you'll live with forever. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, funnily enough, the second game in January is the one that's uh, where we've got the record attendance. So actually, more people attended the game in January than they did in uh, the game at the beginning of the season. Wow. Which, uh, if, if you thought it was cold in August, then it should have come up in, the, in January. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, as I was saying earlier on, those games then I come around very often. Uh, you you want to try and get as, as many people in as you can. Uh, that initial first game, obviously, because of what happened to Rangers in the summertime, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of emphasis on them, what they were going to do. I think everybody kind of expected them to go up the leagues undefeated, uh, or, or try and win every game. And at the first hurdle, that they've kind of almost blown it as such. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll remember that for a for a long time. Do you think Rangers dropping into those leagues maybe helped clubs like Peterhead and and other clubs? To raise their game and say, look, we've actually got some really good players here. We want to showcase and illustrate that we belong in these leagues and we're going to make sure that every team who plays against us, whether it's against Rangers, whether it's against other teams, we're going to play very well and you're going to have to earn your results if you're going to beat us. I think it was it was a case, certainly if you speak to the chairmen of each club, they would have been happy to have Rangers in the, in the leagues. Um, Including yours. <laughs> yeah. Themselves again, you know, as, as fans, we, we won't see Rangers come to, to, to Baltimore very often. And the players for Peter Haid or, uh, or you know, Dumbarton, whoever it was in that league at the time, they won't play against Rangers that often either. So for them, it almost gives them a bit of a lift, it gives them a, a, a boost, and, and they want to try the hardest, they want to try uh, to try and beat them. 
you know, to get that scalp in the end of their careers, they can say, well, I scored against Rangers, or I, I, I will be, be beat Rangers, or, or, you know, things like that. Um, but I, I think, in a funny way, it was probably a good idea in the short term for them to be there. Um, I, again, we could argue uh, through night and day, you know, whether they should have been there or not. Um, but for that sort of short period of time, yeah, I think it was a good idea, and a lot of players would have loved to have played against them as well. Mm-hmm. Martin, anything to add? Uh, not really. Like Colin said, the financial gain for the clubs was uh, would have been massive. Um, but not only the players have been signed to prove they want to, to show that they're more than capable. You know, I think the the press have basically said that Rangers, when they got uh, demoted to the third division, would go every season unbeaten and just walk every game that they played in. And you know that turned out not to be the, the case. Um, and I think they got more than the bargain for with some games in terms of you know they got a bigger challenge than what they were maybe anticipating. Yeah, absolutely. Great memories, and that Petrofac Cup run to the final was a, a wonderful moment as well. And albeit Pierhead lost that final. I watched that game and I thought you guys um, put in a really respectable performance against a really high quality Rangers side and certainly weren't disgraced at all. Let's talk about current footballing affairs because as we're recording this on the 4th of November, uh, Peterhead are three games into their League One season, sitting seventh on three points. They've just come off the back of a brilliant win against my great pals from the Talking Boss Lower League podcast, Clyde. Uh, a 2-0 away win down at Broadwood last weekend. What have you made to the start for Peterhead this season? Uh, the start is pretty much what we'd expected, funnily enough. Um, you know, last season, Peterhead kind of really struggled, especially early on. Um, and then when we got the, the fixture uh, last week, we, we really thought, well, we'd be, we'd be doing well to get at least one win, and that's exactly what we got out of the three. Because mm-hmm. Erdogan and Cove, obviously, two teams you would expect to be top half, at least. Um, but, you know, we've, we've gone through quite a few different players. A lot of players have left, a lot of new players have come in, I think it was set seven out, seven in. That's obviously going to have to uh, be a wee bit of a transition period. And then obviously the injuries that we had, we had six out for the, the Cove game, we only had 13 to pick from. Those things are, those are challenges in itself. Definitely. Um, and then you've got a 39 year old who's your main striker, you're not going to get 90 minutes out of him week in, week out. So, but you know, the positive is that although we've lost two games, we've played pretty well. It's just that end product, and, and we, we sort of keep repeating ourselves in the, in the podcast every week that that's that's where we, we sort of we're, we're feeling at the moment. But then on Saturday just passed. We're going to beat Clyde away from home, which is, seems to be an easy three points at the moment. <laughs> for us there. Um, I love the little dig there, that was really <laughs> Everything just seems to go the way uh, it, it should have gone. So uh, I mean, we're, we're not sort of doom and gloom, we're, we're not sort of downhearted. I mean, the performances are there. We just, it just needs that final uh, ingredient and everything will click, I think. Yeah, I had Dylan McDonald and Ross Gray on from that podcast, and of course, big Clyde fans. So I was calling it the podcast diary on my social media the other week, and I thought that was great banner. And uh, obviously, you guys came out on top. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that head to head goes across the season. Martin, what's your take on the season so far in the league? Yeah, as Colin said, there's a lot of changes at the club. Um, over the recent months but um, we've had a, a fair few injuries but performances have been good as Colin rightly pointed out 
Um, and I'm quite optimistic for the season. I think once the players come back from injury um, and the the gel a bit more, I think we can have a successful season. Um, we lost to Airdrie in the opening game, but you know it was two set pieces. Didn't play particularly well against Cove. Lack of concentration. That's something that was quite um, we're down for last season. So if we can cut out the mistakes. Um, more so this season, then I see no reason why we certainly can't be uh, well clear of the relegation battle. But you know, even an outside chance at playoffs, you know, it's a shorter season, um, and I, I think we should be certainly looking for playoffs. It's it's such a competitive league because, as you mentioned, Cove have really got a lot of financial backing. Paul Hartley into the helm. Um, they won League 2 last season, they've come up here and are sitting top of the pile as we're recording this, 9 points out of 9. Falkirk um, sitting second, another team who really have got so much quality and potential. Partick Thistle who were relegated from the Championship, albeit by Covid, you know, they're in the league, you mentioned Eirdri. It's a very competitive league and then, when you kind of blow up the overall proportion, Peter Head, you know, if they are doing sort of fifth, sixth every season, that's a pretty good accomplishment, all things considered, based on finances and resources and things like that. I think if you look, if you look at the league uh, as a whole, there's probably four or five teams that you'd expect to be challenging for the top and the playoff spots, and yeah. then you've got the rest. Um, and if Peter Head can finish, as you said, fifth or sixth, that would be a pretty decent season. I mean, the finances uh, you, uh, the Cove have got, Park Thistle, Airdrie and Falkirk, that they're all full-time. So we're, we're not really competing against them as such. But when they, in a 90 minutes game of football, you just never know what, what could happen. 100%. Um, and, and it looks as though it can beat anybody again this season. And it probably will be, League One will be a, a, quite an open league. Um, Park Thistle struggled already. But not having said that, they could turn things around themselves. You just never know what's going to happen, and everybody can beat everybody, and that's how it's going to end up being, I think. Mm-hmm. Martin, what's your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's certainly a league. Anybody can beat anybody. We um, were on a poor bit of form last season. And I think it was end of October, start of November, we had Clyde away and Wraith at home. And Colin and I looked at them fixtures and thought, you know, they're really difficult games on paper. And we ended up winning both. So it just shows you that, you know, if you apply yourself well in the game, then you can beat anybody on their day. And like Colin said, over 90 minutes, you fancy your chance against anybody. When you guys are looking at the fixtures every season in League One, or whatever league Peter Head are in, what games do you highlight as being the ones that you're really looking forward to? The head-to-head matches. It's an easy three points. Yeah, especially away from home. Genuinely, uh, we we don't know why this rivalry with Clyde is there. Uh, It just seems to kind of grown organically. Obviously, we've got our historical rivals, Fraserburgh, but obviously they're not in the the same uh, league. They're still in the Highland League. Elgin, to an extent, is a rival as well, but again, they haven't been in, in the same league as us uh, recently either. So uh, this rivalry we've got with Clyde has, has grown. So that's the kind of one we really look out for. Um, obviously, when Cove got promoted as well, that was the one we kind of looked for as well because uh, an away game that's not a two-hour drive. Well, I called it the Northeast Derby, which I, I thought would have been quite good. Aye, it's, 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 it's back to kind of just having that old Highland League um, ties again. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Pierre Hayden Cove obviously uh, won a lot of Highland League titles. So it'll be interesting to see how mm-hmm. the two 
you know, as the future goes on, how, how well Cove will do, which a lot of people are expecting them to do, but um, Peter Hyde, if they can sort of stick around in League One, then I think we'll be doing quite well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really looking forward over the next few years to see how clubs like Brora Rangers do. You know, I think if they can get onto the football pyramid, it'd be great to have another North team in there. Maybe clubs like Formatin. Bucky Thistle, who knows, could, could get in the mix as well. I think it's a very promising league up in the Highland League. We saw last season Brora looking very good. But I also think as well, the, the Cove journey, you guys' journey, Elgin City's journey as well to a point. The North clubs really pride themselves and do really well and don't often, certainly on a regular basis, disgrace themselves. They always put in a very good performance week in, week out on the whole. Yeah, and you, you mentioned another two as well. You've got Inverness and Ross County. How well they've done. Of course. Once they, they got promoted as well. There are there are a lot of good Highland League teams um, that would probably do well in the Scottish League. And I think uh, Brora being one, um, Martin would do well. Frisbourne would probably do well as well. Lowland League as well. You've got mm. so many good uh, teams in there as well that would probably do well. So. Again, we could argue about rhyme and reason as to why Pro and Kelly didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to get promoted. Uh, there's, there's certain teams in League Two that probably would be uh, twitching a bit if yeah. they did get promoted. Uh, you, they might disappear out of the league altogether. So, but mm-hmm. uh, on a positive side, yeah, the Highland League teams—they're very well run. There's some very good players in there as well, uh, and uh, Jim McNally himself is. is spoken quite highly of Scott Barber in particular and Fraser Russell. Absolutely. They would all do really well uh, and if the pyramid scheme is the or pyramid system is the I keep calling that a scheme, I don't know why. <laughs> the pyramid system is the work. Um, those kind of teams need to get in on a more regular basis. One hundred percent agree. I think it's good because I think the, as you mentioned, the clubs in League Two are looking over their shoulders now and actually thinking, hey, we need to up our game here because if we don't we could be out of the the, the the system and you look at some of these clubs like Kelty, like Brora Rangers, like Fraserburgh, they're all ambitious clubs and they all want to get into that pyramid system and to get into League Two and when you get in that League Two, if you can start getting five, six wins very early on, very, very quickly, you can start to actually make a lot of progression in a very short space of time, as what Peter did obviously many years ago. Yeah, again, if you look at uh, East Stirlingshire, for example, they've dropped out. Are they going to get back in again? Probably not. It's going to be tough for them. It's going to be really tough for them to get back. So there are teams in League Two, as we said, that are twitching a bit. If they drop out, they're going to drop out and they're going to be out for a, for a long, long time. Yeah. Martin, what's your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Just echo what you guys have said. You know, there's a lot of ambitious clubs um, in the, the lower leagues, they're all well run. And, you know, they, they will feel that if they can get into League Two, they can certainly give a good account of themselves. I don't think there's any club, uh, you know, that would uh, be out of place in, in the leagues. And it's just as a point in that there's not a more um, flexibility at the moment in allowing teams to, to come up to League Two. And again, teams dropping out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move into, uh, obviously, the Cup Affairs as well, because Peterhead have always prided themselves by doing very solid in the Cups, particularly the Betfred Cup, and they're in a group with St Johnston, um, Dundee United, County Hearts and Brecon, and of course Peterhead, earlier the season, went down to Tannadice and won 1-0, an absolutely stupendous result. As we're recording this, they're currently sitting on maximum points, two games played, they have St Johnston um, to come, 
um, as well as Kelty Hearts and what a great opportunity to get out your group and get a, a really good tie in the, the next round of the Betfair Cup. Elson, if, if you can I said this after uh, the draw was made, we, we sat and we uh, maximum points after two games. I think we would have been snatching your hand off. Um, it is, it's, it's quite a start. The the difficult uh, game obviously was doing at Tannadice. We've come away with a one 0 win. Um, the problem now we've got is the expectations is raising just a little bit. The next game against Kelty uh, is away from home, so I'm not expecting that to be. Uh, overly easy. I think it'll be a really tough game. a good there. competitive game, that. Very yeah, good competitive game. Yeah, on a Tuesday night, I think it'll be difficult. So, there is that potential, though, of going into the St Johnston game, the final game of St Johnston and uh, Peterhead being on maximum points in the winner takes all kind of game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that in itself is exciting. Yeah. Martin? We've given ourselves a, a fantastic chance. Um, like Colin said, going away to Kelty will, will not be easy. But if you, you've got any hopes of getting through the group, it's certainly a game you've got to go there and win. Um, as Colin said about St Johnson, it could be a winner takes all. And you know what an occasion that could be at Balmour to host in Premiership side, knowing that if you win, you're through the next round of the group stage. And the, the, the frustrating thing with that being the fact that no fans can come, that must be a grave frustration for the both of you. But I just want to ask you about the way the Betfred Cup has been restructured. Has that helped clubs like Peterhead to really give themselves a good account and, and do their best against clubs that are higher up the pyramid system like St Johnston and Dundee United? I think it, it, it gives us, it's, from a, a financial point of view, I think it gives us a, a, a good sort of sounding board. Um, you know, you mentioned this Johnston game, and there's nobody going to be there. I think the chairman would be that would be the kind of game that the chairman would be rubbing his hands at uh, because you know he'd be a packed kind of uh, stand there. Um, but I take you back to, to uh, three years ago, and we, we played Hearts at um, at Balmore as well, and we beat them. I remember so, that night. Brilliant. It's, it's one of those kind of things where you're, you're almost kind of maybe catching the, the the Premier League teams on the hop slightly. Because obviously they just expect treating these as uh, extra pre-season games. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoy the way it's been restructured. Uh, it gives at least gives you uh, four extra games that you maybe wouldn't have expected to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Martin, do you agree with that comment? Yeah, absolutely. I, I quite enjoy it. As Colin said, these teams uh, play against the lower league clubs and they maybe think it is like a, an extra pre-season game. But I think it gives lower league clubs the chance to um, go and express themselves a bit more and just show that they're not just at a lower league club. You know, they, they do have something to offer, and it gives um, the, the lower league clubs that chance. You know, potentially get through and pick up a really good tie in the next round, which financially can help them out massively. Yeah, absolutely. And I personally want to wish Peterhead all the best for their two upcoming matches, particularly the Betfred Cup against Kelty and St Johnston but also in their league campaign as well. Let's bring it on to the, the current squad and, and some of the characters that you guys have had on the, the Blue Team podcast. And I have to kick off with uh, a guy who really needs no introduction, the, the host of Open Goal Sports, Simon Ferry. I mean, what a character. The fight he plays for Peterhead. You guys must have some amazing stories to share about Simon Ferry and the fact that he is involved with a, with a great club like Peterhead. Uh, Simon is the most boring person you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> no, uh, Simon. Uh, Simon's one of those kind of guys that uh, what you kind of see on his on his podcast is exactly what you, you see uh, in person. 
uh, he was good enough to come on uh, Ours early doors which I think was, was a good thing because um, I think pretty much everybody else then sort of followed on because he came on um, but funnily enough when you see him on the field he's totally different he's very serious he's very you know uh, uh, his character you know he's totally different he, he still talks talks a lot <laughs> usually usually giving the defence some uh, stick for, for something um, but if there's one voice that you hear constantly at Baltimore during a game is his he talks all constantly during the game now that he's obviously coaching as well um, he's uh, he's enjoying that kind of side of things as well but you can also hear him especially tail end of last season uh, before it, it, it was suspended, you could hear him actually talking and coaching at the same time, which was which was quite funny to us because all you could hear him go, "Remember the remember the triangles, the triangles playing in space," and you just think, "Well, that's a training session. That's all he does." Uh, but yeah, Simon Simon does just again like Jim, he does so much for the club, mm-hmm. um, and in terms of uh, promoting the club and doing the community stuff and things like that as well. I mean. Uh, you couldn't have uh, two greater guys to, to represent your club. Martin, anything to add? Yeah, we, we spoke to Simon, as Colin said earlier on during the, the lockdown, and you know we could have probably chatted for about three, four, five hours. He had so many stories that he wanted to tell us. Um, but the, as Colin said, there's a, a serious side to him as well as he's um, maturing, and we're starting to see that on the pitch. He's now one of them that will scream for screaming sake. You know, he's trying to encourage the, the defence or the, the team in general to, to improve and I think we're only going to see the benefit of that in the, the years to come how um, composed he is but with a serious nature throughout. Do you see him moving into managing in the future because Open Goal is one of the biggest podcasts not just in the UK but across the world do you expect him to, to continue in the media way the way he's going on Go Football Show or do you think he'll have a crack at maybe managing and coaching in the future? I think, I think in all honesty, um, he might not say this, but I think as, as much as he's enjoying maybe the open goal things uh, at the moment, uh, at some kind of point that might stop um, and it just might come to a natural uh, conclusion. The fact that he's um, taken on a coaching role at Peterhead um, and is, is looking to do that um, as well as still playing would suggest to me that he's looking to go down that avenue. It's okay having you know the media side of things, but as I said, you know those kind of things could, could dry up pretty quick. Yes, People keep stop calling and the appearances disappear. So, uh, but I mean, again, if you if ever you ever speak to him, he just talks so much about football in general. Um, he's got a good brain um, and he's got a lot of uh, good ideas as well. I think because uh, again, when we spoke to him, he was very. Um, interested in the tactical side of things as well as the coaching side of things so there is obviously an interest in going down that avenue whether or not he actually does that I'd be very interested and I'd be quite happy for him to, to stick around and, and coach with Peter Hyde and then maybe even take over the reins from uh, Jim Well that was what I was going to ask, do you see him maybe being a natural successor to, to Jim if he decides to, to give it up, it doesn't look like he's going to in the near future by the way but I'm just hypothesising <laughs> Yeah, well, Jim's obviously not going to be going anytime soon. We're not trying to get rid of him or anything, but it's nice to know. And, and you look at what he did with uh, David McCracken. You know, took him on uh, as uh, as a coach Absolutely. and then allowed him to go to, to to Falkirk. Jim will always look at the future and will always encourage people to to 
take up offers if it's if it suits them. He won't hold anybody back. He will always try and encourage people to better themselves. That's not just the players themselves, but that's the coaches as well that he's got. So if he's if he's interested in uh, keeping Simon on and uh, moulding him to some kind of role as an assistant or a coach or, or even as a manager at some point, he's he's got the right man to learn under definitely. Martin, anything to add? Last word on this yeah, point? Yeah, as, as Colin said, he's, he's learning the, the tactical side of the game that he knows really well at the moment. He, he takes some of the, the training sessions as well up here heading out a Tuesday night with the, the guys in Dundee. So uh, I think learning from Jim as well is a bonus. Mm. And uh, likewise, Jim can learn, well not learn, he's aware of newer things that's maybe happening in, in training sessions that he can implement. So I think it's definitely a a partnership that goes hand in hand and we're only going to see the benefit of that in, you know, in years to come but I certainly could see him taking the, the reins at Peterhead if Jim decides to, to leave We've talked a lot about Simon Ferry already but there's a lot of really great players in the current Peterhead squad and I want to come to you guys just off the bat here just express to some of my listeners some of the players that they should go and check out and learn a little bit more about because Peterhead are blessed looking at the sheet I have in front of me here with a blend of youth and experience which is which is crucial to have on the team. Yeah, I think this year in particular, Jim's gone down the, the avenue of, of bringing in a, a lot of uh, younger players. Um, some of the players that had gone, um, like some of the Paddy Boyles, uh, Jamie Stevenson's, etc., had been with the club for a, a number of years, so I think it's a case that he maybe just needed to refresh things a little bit. Some of those uh, younger guys, um, like uh, Lyle Cameron, for example, scored uh, on Saturday. He's an exciting young guy from Dundee. Uh, I think Dundee speak quite highly of him. Uh, he's, he's quite small, which is, uh, you know, it goes in his favour slightly because I don't think people sort of would, would think he's going to do too much damage, but he's a, he's a, a, a tricky little player. He's a guy that uh, is going to be exciting for the rest of the season and, and we're really happy to have him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mom? Uh, Captain Scott Brown for me, he's, um, he, he's, he shows he's a leader, he, he doesn't shout, he, he just goes about his business in the park really, really well. When uh, Rory McAllister left in January, you know, the, the question was posed, uh, who could be the captain? Naturally, you think Simon Ferry at the time, you know, uh, you've got Greg Fleming, he was there as well in goals. Mm-hmm. So it, naturally, Scott didn't immediately jump out at this, but you know, seeing his performances when he did get the captaincy, you can understand why Jim chose him, he just goes about things. Yeah. so calmly, so maturely, you know, and he just gets on with it. Yeah, an absolutely terrific player. And what I really like, as I said, is the blend of experience as well in this team. Ryan Conroy is a guy who's been around the Scottish Leagues and continues to put in solid 7, 8 out of 10 performances week in, week out. We mentioned Cypheric, um, Gary Fraser used to be at Partick Thistle, another tremendous player. But then at the top end of the pitch, you have Stephen Boyd, who scored the winning goal down at Tanadice, a, a really great player. And Derek Lyle, the story of Derek Lyle is a really interesting one because this guy is so evergreen, isn't he? He goes across the world of Scotland and he just scores goals. I, I know, he's, he just seems to... When you say he gets better and better every year, but they, that engine he's got doesn't seem to let up at all. Uh, you know, he's uh, every year you think, well, this is going to be his last season. 
but no, no, he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back, and uh, you know, for for guys like Ben Armour at the club as well, even Stephen Boyd to an extent, they can learn a lot from mm-hmm. Derek Lyle, especially yeah. with, with what he's done throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was just having a look at some of the stats uh, of Derek here for the for the last couple of seasons. He was at Peterhead, 14 goals um, over his last couple of years. He's been at Peterhead, but he's obviously a Queen of the South. Scored bags of goals, very similar to what Stephen Dobby, of course, is currently still doing in Queen of the South as well. But even as far back as his his spells at, at Morton and Hamilton, you know, a, a really evergreen player who just knows where the net is, Martin. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, he's shown that over his career, how prolific he is. I think, um, you know, as he's coming towards the tail end, I think Colin, I've maybe said that for about three, four years now, he's still going. But, you know, he's, he sits on the bench just at the moment, you know, and you'd be thinking with 20 minutes to go in a game, if you're an opposition defender, you think you're maybe getting through it. And then you see Derek Lyle coming on with all his experience, you know, and the, the things that he can do. And he's just an absolute nuisance in the best possible way. Um, and he, he just, you know, he's perfect for Peter Head. You, you, we can mix it up. We've got the young guys with the pace and behind, but you've also got Derek Lyle that you can throw on as well. I wanted to ask you guys about when Rory McAllister left the club because when I watched Peter Head for, for so many years, Rory McAllister was always scoring loads of goals. And when he left, I really worried for Peter Head because I was like, how do they replace Rory McAllister's goals? Because he always was a match winner, he would always get you a late goal, he would always be a person who maybe scored a late equaliser. But when you've got some of these younger guys coming through, it seems like Pierre Edder may be starting to, to get that back again. I think if you'd asked me that kind of question uh, six, seven months ago, I think the, the answer might have been uh, slightly different. Uh, obviously, Rolly McCarthy leaving was, was a huge shock to everybody. We were all kind of under the impression that he would retire at Pierhead. Um, That's what I thought as well, got to say that. Yeah, you'd you probably think as well, uh, along the lines of Simon Ferry, he'd take up a coaching role uh, at, uh, with Jim as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a huge shock. Um, it, it took a while to get, get over it, whether or not I'm over it completely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I guess at, at some point though, Rory McAllister would have left in some kind of extent whether or not that he would have just left and retired or as he did join Cove so I guess we should have been sort of too overly sentimental but football is football you, you know you move on players come and go the guys we've got now is the boys uh, the armors um, and, and Lyle's still there as well they'll, they'll all provide goals yeah uh, and you know Two, three years down the line, we'll still remember Rory McAllister, but hopefully we've got somebody else who's going to be back in the goals. Well, I was just looking at his stats here, and this is going in consecutive years from 11-12 to 19-20. 20 goals, 21 goals, 1 goal, 32 goals, 8-22, then he didn't score 15-16. 19-20, 1 and 14, uh, and then 3 at the end. A- an unbelievable range of goals. and. You know, you're talking in excess of about 120, 150 goals. I mean, amazing the ton. He's got 198 in his uh, in total. Um, uh, so that's that's a fantastic kind of uh, return for, for any any team, mm-hmm. not just Peterhead League uh, One, League Two, but anybody would would want anybody to score goals like that. Which amazes me. Which amazes me why he was still at Peterhead for so long, and other clubs across Scotland didn't think. We should be looking at him because he's scoring bags of goals week in, week out. And that's testament to you guys for keeping him for so long. 
Yeah, but I mean, Don United uh, had a chance to go to Don United when they got relegated uh, to the Championship first time round. Um, I think the, the deal was pretty much done and dusted, but he decided that he wanted to remain uh, part time. And Gabardine were interested in it as well. Um, so he, he was always he was always uh, being looked at. But I think the, the advantage that we had was uh, the location. It was uh, local to him. Uh, he was local to his, you know, where he was working in terms of working in, in Aberdeen. Uh, Peter had were training in Aberdeen at the time before moving to Dundee. So logistically, everything was, was suited him. But I think he he's smart enough to realise as well that football, uh, to play football, you, it isn't a long-term thing. At some point, that comes to an end. So he always thought that we staying part-time and having that job, having that uh, business behind them as well, because at the end of the day, you could play for 20 years and then you've got to work for the rest, next yeah. 40, I think. Absolutely. J- just, just to add on that as well, I think uh, Jim McAnally deserves a lot of credit as well, because I think if he was not enjoying his football, it would been quite easy for him to pick up another club, you know, even at Pierre Head's level. But obviously he didn't go to Aberdeen, didn't go to Dundee United, and I think Jim gets credit for that as well. He obviously enjoyed playing for him, he enjoyed playing for Peter Head and uh, I think it was a, a perfect uh, marriage for them. Yeah, very, very good. And I just wanted to mention that because he's just a bit of a, a player in, in, enriched in, in Peter Head's folklore, so it was definitely worth a mention. We're heading towards the business end of the podcast, heading towards the end. The Bluetooth podcast, I've got it on Twitter, unofficial weekly podcast all about Peter Head FC Facebook. Find us on Spotify. And it, it's, it seems to be growing from strength to strength, but it's so good. We talk about fan media a lot, and more and more fans are getting engaged in fan media. And it's very important, isn't it, because you get up to the minute news about your club in your location and get to know a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes and the relationships players have with the fans and fellow players as well. I think it's testament to uh, the fans themselves, not just uh, you know, Peterhead as a club, but fans up and down the country. Um, there is an appetite for, and there is an interest in clubs out with the, the Scottish Premier League. Um, certainly out with the, the, the main two, the Glasgow two, uh, shall we say. Um, so for, for there's, there's so many out there as well. Um, that was the, the, the one thing that surprised me when we started this. Um, over a year ago that there are so many teams have got their own uh, fan podcasts um, and, and media outlets etc etc which for, for me maybe was I was a little naive in that kind of sense but again it shows that the lower leagues aren't being um, promoted enough yeah we didn't really know them until we started doing this uh, and that's that's a sad kind of indictment on Scottish football as a whole, I think. No, I agree. I agree. And I think it's important that all clubs in Scotland certainly get uh, their fair share of attention. I've just looked at it on, on Podbean here, 60 episodes so far, which is a testament to you guys. During lockdown, you must have felt uh, a little bit of an opportunity to get in touch with some players, ex-players, and had that opportunity to speak to these people for a length of time that maybe you wouldn't have had if COVID hadn't been in play. Yeah, I think initially when we were going through our first season, we we had the idea that um, we were going to have at the end of the season a sit down with a couple of the players, and, and that would maybe fill like the summer void, if you like. Um, obviously, when the, the season was suspended and then eventually uh, it, it was uh, a, a band that was curtailed altogether, 
we really couldn't think of any other, anything else to really talk about other than what was happening or not happening uh, in some extent with Scottish football and we just thought well let's ask and that's what we did we Absolutely. just uh, we start with uh, Captain Scott Brown and before we know it we had we were doing maybe two or three in a week putting them out there we had one in every week after that so it was good and some of the ex-guys it was uh, have come on as well they're more than happy to come on and speak football, uh, especially the older guys as well, because they've got so many stories that <laughs> not, they're not in the public domain because there was no social media 20 yeah. years ago, things like that. So they're quite happy to come on. But I think in terms as well that they, because it was in, in lockdown as well, it was a distraction, not just for us, but for them as Absolutely. well. It, it, it gave you something to, to look forward to. Um, and I certainly enjoyed every every part of it. And, and We'll look forward to, you know, a proper uh, close of uh, end of season and then in the summertime try and do it all again. Yeah, absolutely. It's been absolutely fantastic. I listened to a couple of your shows. They're really, really engaging and really entertaining as well. In terms of the guests you've had on, do you have any personal highlights that you want to share in terms of people that you've had on? I'll let you go with first this time, Martin. Um, obviously, naturally, the, the the one is Simon Ferry. You know, he was really good to talk to. But me personally, Ben Armour. You know, he's a, a young man. Um, he, he came through MPID. He didn't start off the, the greatest. You know, sitting on the bench, and then got his chance. Injury sort of curtailed that in January, and then also the season ended. But he's a he's a man that he just wants to play football. You can put him up top, you can put him right back, you can probably even put him in goal. And he's just really happy to be playing football. And I think that was quite refreshing to hear. You know, there's a lot of youngsters maybe coming through that that is their position and they only want to play that. So it was really refreshing to hear Ben and he's quite um, quite open to learning new things in the football part. And he's got a really good squad to learn from as well. Mm-hmm. Colin? I, I really enjoyed um, some of the older guys, um, like to call them uh, McDonald and Stephen Noble. Um, just to kind of hear the stories of, uh, back then. Um, I mean, Steve Noble, he was a captain at the, the Petrofac Cup final. So even uh, just hearing that kind of uh, stories of him leading the team out, etc. Um, it's, I mean, every every one of them has been good. I don't think we've had a bad one yet. In our, in our opinion, <laughs> well, I think they're I think they're really good fun and really engaging, as I said. And I hope people who are, are listening or haven't listened so far but now feel the need to should go and check your archives out and listen to some of these because there's a good there's something for everybody in in them. That's for sure. Yeah, it's again, it's not just in the current squad. We've got some of the older guys as well that um, some of the the, the older Peterhead fans maybe we'd recognise more as well so you know, we, we, we try to get a bit of a mix um, the, the thing for me is is to try and get more of the kind of the, the guys from the Highland League days as well um, maybe slightly more difficult because uh, they're maybe not as, as accessible in terms of you know social media and things like that but uh, we will try um, Ivor Perio as I mentioned him earlier on he's, he's a guy who's behind the list I'd like to get on as well so we'll, we'll, we'll try our best and We'll try and mix it up again maybe in the summertime. Well, shoot for the moon and if you miss, you find yourself with the stars, as they say. Now, we're coming up to my favourite part of the show when I talk to, to fan media uh, outlets. And I've asked the guys in my agenda here to pick their best Peterhead 11. Now, you can work together on this. Um, so, let's assess 
some of the great players that have played for the blue team over the years and come up with a best 11. Well, this kind of proved to be a bit more difficult than we, we anticipated because when we started going through the list of players, there are some really good players um, and the 11 that we've got, we've, we've probably, we could have had another 11 with the players we haven't picked. Um, we've gone with a 4-3-3 um, and the reason for that is we've had to get as many forwards. <laughs> Can I just start, before we start, is, is Jim the, the manager? <laughs> Jim, Jim would obviously be the manager, I think, yeah. Um, just to get, just to get your did, gaffer on site, otherwise he might not want to listen to this part. <laughs> I know, yeah. um, but what we did was we, we've kind of cut it to the, just the 20 years of being in the, uh, the the football league. Fair enough. Because again, we could go right back to Highland League days and, and, and it would just get messy. So we've gone with the, the 20 years. Um, goalkeeper, Martin, you want to start? Yeah, we went for uh, for Graham Smith, but you know, as Colin said, there's Ivor Perry that we could have had. Greg Fleming, he's been the goalkeeper in recent years as well. But in the end, we went for Graham Smith. He had a, he had a really interesting story, didn't he? Did he not go to one ground? Am I right to say he went to one ground for a match, but then it was actually away from home or at home, and he had to drive back or something? It was a really that's, extraordinary story. That's uh, that is Graham Smith, but not that Graham Smith. Ah. Um, I think it, I can't remember who it was, but funnily enough, uh, the team that he drove to, thinking that was where the game was, he eventually signed for them. You couldn't make it up. Scottish football behaviour. Oh, that's Scottish fantastic. Football, yeah. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Sorry, I digress. So Graham uh, Smith is a goalkeeper. At the back, at the back uh, we've got a back four. Uh, number one on the list was Graham Sharp, an absolute legend uh, at Peterhead. Over 300 appearances for the club. I mean, he he, he only stopped playing for Peterhead to, to go abroad and work. Probably could have been there for another four or five years. Might still be there yet because he's only still relatively young. I think he's about 36, 37 now. So, you know, if uh, Derek Lyle can still be playing, then uh, <laughs> why not him? <laughs> uh, yeah, across the, the back, we've got Colin McDonald, uh, Mark Perry, and Stephen Noble. Mark Perry was a brilliant player. Uh, I think he's a Mark fantastic Perry, legend. Of Mark Perry, you, you maybe don't necessarily associate him with Peter Head as such, but he was there for four and a half years. Yeah. He was there quite a long time. Yep, very interesting. Let's move into the midfield. Uh, so, yeah, there was a, a number of players we could have had here. I think this is the, the part that we... Uh, this is the, the part you guys week. fell out above. <laughs> yeah, it's the part we struggled with uh, in terms of the, the quality. So, we went with uh, Jamie Stevenson, uh, ever-present over the last couple of years. Uh, Scott Brown and, naturally, Simon Ferry. It's uh, the nod in there as well. Does Ferry get the captaincy? Or who have you, who have you got as your captain in this team? Well, we've got so many captains though, you see Stephen Noble's been captain, Colin McDonald's been captain, yep. Stevenson, uh, Ferry's been there, Brown's been there, so they're all leaders. We're all, they're all leaders. They're That's all great. captains. Yeah, they're all captains to, to an extent, but some of the guys that we, we haven't got on are there, Dougie Cameron, Andy, um, Andy Roddy uh, in midfield, you know, it's, it's so many kind of guys that we could have picked. We're, we're leaving out, guys, as I said, we could put it in another 11. And up front, or the front three? Front three, well we've gone with three because we, we really wanted all three to play and of course McAllister's one, uh, we've got Martin Bavage uh, and Ian Stewart. 
Those are guys that have what's up player goals for before us down the years. And we're really going to leave one out. So we're with three. Another notable uh, mention would have been Martin Johnson as well. Uh, Martin Johnson was a toss up between him and Ian Stewart. We went with the Ian Stewart. Could have easily gone with Martin Johnson. Again, it was just so difficult to kind of narrow it down just an 11. Brilliant. What a, what a great team that is. So let's just uh, uh, recap on the team. Uh, Smith and Goal, a back four of Sharp, McDonald, Perry and Noble. A midfield uh, trio of Stevenson, Brown and Ferry with McAllister, Bavage and Stewart up front. That will go on the Campbell's Football's Facebook and Twitter pages. If you'd like to have a debate with the guys on their best 11, more than welcome to take part. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the discussions about that because that's a, a hell of a team. Guys, it's been an absolute delight and an education for me to chat to you guys about Peterhead and for me to learn a lot about the Blue Toon. What's your aspirations for the season going forward and the future of the Blue Toon podcast? Uh, I guess the, the, the aspirations for the club would be yeah, just try and stick in League One uh, again. Obviously, it's trying to aim as high as possible. Getting the playoffs, I think, would be a realistic target. Anything higher than that would, would be a bonus. But what we're looking for year on year is, is a little bit of progress. So finished eighth last year. So you know, finished seventh or sixth this year, and then again. You know, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. That that shows a bit of uh, progress. But again, anything that makes us stay stick to the, in the league one, I'd be very, very happy with. Anything to add, Martin? Last word to you. Uh, I, th I think in terms of, of this season, I think we can uh, certainly look to have a, a more successful season than we did last season. You know, we started the Betfred Cup really well. In terms of the league campaign, it is a league where anybody can beat anybody. But I, I don't think we go into any game um, with the expectation to get beat. So I certainly think, as Colin said, if we're looking at the, the playoffs, um, it's not an unrealistic target. Well, I really wish uh, Peterhead all the best for us. He's in a really great club, very close to my own heart here in the northeast of Scotland with you guys, so really want to see them do well, particularly in that two Betfred Cup matches against Kelty Hearts and St Johnston, respectively, but also in the league and also to their fans as well, because Balmore is a great stadium with great supporters. And uh, you know, we always want. I always want to see the North clubs do well, and uh, Peterhead, I'm no exception to that. Colin Martin, it's been great to chat with me. Well, it's been great to chat with you, should, should I say. I said it like uh, my Hancock there. That was a terrible way to finish that up. <laughs> it's been great to chat with you guys about Peterhead. Um, thanks very much for coming on Campbell's Fools. Thank you very much. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time... I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a dangerous night.